0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the common, thre- no, not common threads, but antidote to echo chambers. So we did a little bit of a, a rebranding uh, to our podcast and our vision and our goal is kind of the same, but uh, we have a different name and our logo is a bit different. And I'll I'll kind of tell you the reasoning behind that kind of change. So first of all, the new name, antidote to echo chambers, what does that mean? So what is an echo chamber uh, for those of you who do not know? An echo chamber could be described as an environment. Uh, it could be um, geographical, cultural, and because in that environment, you're always surrounded by uh, people who have similar opinions and have similar perspectives. So, and you're in that little chamber, and you don't really hear anything else. It, the, your opinions echo uh, in the room because everyone, what you think, everyone else thinks. Um, but why did I say antidote to echo chambers is I want to have a cure for that for an echo chamber? And how do you do that? you listen to varying perspectives you are open minded and willing to you know hear someone out about uh, with their opinion so that's sort of our goal but obviously obviously we're going to you know continue doing our mission of con- uniting people together and trying to find common ground that's obviously something we're going to keep on doing but just a bit of a name change logo change and a, just a little um, slight vision change that we have implemented for our podcast. So, without further ado, I'm gonna get on with the episode today. So, for today's episode, it's gonna be a bit more lighthearted and more fun. Um, I think that our past two um, episodes have been kind of you know heavy and political in nature. Not really heavy, but just just not you know fun. I would say. But for today's episode, I want to do something that's a bit more enjoyable and. Today, we're going to talk about one of my most favorite subjects, which is philosophy. And what we're going to do today is we're going to rank ethical theories in a tier list. Uh, So we're going to rank uh, seven different theories that I'll explain a bit later into uh, five distinct ranks, which is S, A, B, C, and D, with S being the highest and D being the lowest. Now, how I'm going to rank these theories is number one. Is it realistic, right? Does it work in real life? Like, could I see this ethical theory being implemented into today's society? Uh, that's the first criteria. And number two is what I want to live in that sort of society. You know, would I want to live in a world where divine con- uh, divine command theory uh, is, you know, the the norm, or feminist ethics, or utilitarianism. Like, I'm going to try to f- focus on that for the second. And, um, also just a disclaimer, just keep in mind that I come with sort of a Western Canadian uh, perspective. So I might be biased in some of my opinions, but also guys, remember, this is just purely for, uh, just fun and entertainment purposes. This is nothing serious. I'm not saying like this, if I rank an S it's going to, it should be like, um, law here in the West or something like, no, that's what I'm saying. It's just something that I'm going to, I'm going to do to try to see which one might be better than the other. So let's get started. Um, so, the first ethical theory um, I want to look at today is Kant's categorical imperative. So, the ph- philosopher, Immanuel uh, Kant, he has uh, given us this theory of the categorical imperative. And this kind of proposes that the morality of an action is determined by whether it can be universally applied without contradiction. So, basically, it prioritizes moral duty and consistency across all contexts. Um, and it emphasizes the value of certain actions irrespective of the consequences. Uh, so to simplify that blurb there, um, I would say ca- uh, Kant's categorical imperative could be um, you know, said in this very famous phrase that we might all know, right? Treat others like how you want to be treated. Uh, and Kant actually says it a bit more complicated. He says that we should act only in accordance with that maxim uh, through which you can at the same time will that it become a universal law. So what it basically says is that, for example, right, um, let's just say I wanted to rob a convenience store, right? I wanted to rob a convenience store, but then I have to realize that, okay, if I were to rob a convenience store, then everyone should be allowed to rob a convenience store. And I would have to live in that, uh, that sort of society. Or maybe, I don't know, Just I could give many other different examples, but basically says that whatever you do or how you act, it should be a universal law and everyone should be able to act that way. So that's what Kent's kind of saying there. Uh, and also, guys, I'm very, like, I'm dumbing down a lot of these ethical theories. I could go so much more in depth, but in for the sake of time, I just want to keep it nice and concise uh, today. But maybe in another future episode, I'll, you know, dive in deeper and maybe bring an expert um, onto the podcast. So I guess the first c- criteria, is it realistic? Uh It seems kind of idealistic and utopian in nature because I'm not sure if actual human beings want to live in that sort of society. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but uh, like, for example, there are certain things that we do in our day-to-day life that are kind of just, I'm going to use the word guilty pleasures, like we want to do it, um, but we know it's kind of wrong. Like For example, um, I mean, people lie all the time, right? I'm sure you've lied maybe in the past week or so. Um, and many people lie, but if we, if people were to lie in Kant's, uh, ethical, moral theory, uh, ethical theory society, then it means that everyone should be able to lie and lying shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. Right. And, you know, lying is bad. I could say that right now. Um, quote me on that, but sometimes lies could be used in a positive way and, I think that's one example of me saying that people might not want to live in this sort of society. So realistic, maybe not. Number two, would I personally want to live in this kind of society? Um, I think this would be. This is a good question, but I personally would not want to live in this society. I I think that there are certain things that we personally do that like that are sort of like. Eh if you know what I mean, but we but if it were like a societal norm, it would kind of not really work that way so I, I i would say I would rank this in the b tier. it's very I give credit to Kant um because it might work, but I've never seen it in person uh, in any historical context, so I'll give this a solid b next, we are going to look at. Uh, utilitarianism. So utilitarianism, this one's a bit more of a famous one so you might know already, but it was advocated by philosophers such as uh, Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill, and it suggests that the morality of an action is determined by its consequences. Specifically, an action is considered morally right if it maximizes overall happiness or pleasure and minimizes suffering or pain for the greatest number of individuals affected by the action. This consequentialist uh, approach uh, provides a clear and quantifiable framework For evaluating ethical choices, however, critics contend that utilitarianism can sometimes overlook individual rights and dignity, potentially leading to situations where minority interests are sacrificed for the greater good. So, utilitarianism, greatest good for the greatest number of people, Uh, pretty straightforward there. However, you know this; it might seem good uh, when you first hear it, or at least that's what I heard, what what I thought of it. But if you kind of look at it in a realistic um, framework, it might not really work. Right. So as I just said before, there might be certain situations where the majority or the, I guess the people, you know, that are uh, all happy and, you know, you know, receiving the greatest happiness, there might be a minority uh, that might be negatively affected. So, and, uh, yeah, they may be sacrificed for the greater good. Um, and also, there's also difficulty in accurately predicting in what is the greatest happiness? You know, what constitutes, what is, what constitutes happiness, right? That's something that's another philosophical question we, all, we ask all the time. So if we can't define what happiness is, and ha- if we say that happiness is subjective, how could we say that utilitarianism might work in real life, right? So that's one question to think of there. Um, so let's just go on with the criteria. So number one, is it realistic? I think just a lot of things we do in our in our time uh just in the modern uh, world is based off of utilitarianism. I think we try to um vie for the greatest number of like the greatest pleasure and you know like we try to do things that give us joy. So it works I think with human nature. I think humans have a distinct uh characteristic of trying to find meaning, of trying to find happiness. And it, I think Bentham and Mill really you know, got that right, right? Being uh, an ethical theory that that is in line with human nature. However, in a realistic perspective, again, you know, just because that everyone is happy doesn't mean the thing is right. For example, right? I'll give an example. Um, maybe, let's see, Nazi Germany, right? In, in Nazi Germany, uh, the people of Nazi Germany, they were brainwashed and uh, by Nazi propaganda. And, they were happy, right? They were thinking, okay, this war is good because, you know, this is what they're, this is the information that they're feeding me. And, you know, I don't think anybody was very suspicious until after the war. And, you know, and in that time period, right? How are you going to say that just because all those people are content and happy that it was the right moral theory, right? They shouldn't be happy because millions of people were getting slaughtered um, and genocide was occurring. So how could you say that? So in that perspective, it might not work, right? So is it realistic? Yes, but also there also, there also is some flaws. Um, and number two, would I want to live in that sort of society? Yes, I think uh, I would because I think utilitarianism uh, satisfies the basic human desire to find happiness. And if you can maximize it, I think um, that would lead to an overall happier society. So, I would say yes, so maybe I would rank that in the a tier we're not gonna we're not we're not the we're not at, at uh, the the s tier yet, but I would say a tier just because of its uh, certain flaws okay, so we just looked at the categor, categorical imperative and utilitarian, utilitarianism can't speak English today um but we're gonna get on to our next theory, which is divine command theory. So divine command theory asserts that moral principles are derived from the commands of a divine being or beings. According to this view, actions are morally right if they align with the will of a deity or divine entity. Proponents of this theory argue that it provides a foundation for moral absolutes and objective moral standards rooted in the authority of a higher power. However, critics raise questions about the epistemological basis of divine commands and the potential for differing interpretations uh, of religious texts leading to moral relativism and conflicts between religious doctrines. So divine command theory is, um, I guess you could think of it as laws and an ethical theory posited by God, and it's very based off of religious texts such as the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, and the many other religious texts that exist in the world today. So, this is an interesting one because we have had times in history where divine command theory was a theory that was implemented in real life. for example, you see um the monarchs uh in the eighteenth century the seventeenth centuries for example in france uh you know the leaders were seen as sent by God and um they and because of that they align with the will of a divine entity and um a lot of you know like laws like for example in um Calvin, Calvinist uh, Geneva right everyone was living by um, like very strictly by laws of the Bible interpreted by the Calvinists and we've seen what happened in Calvinist Geneva like we see the the persecution and things like that but anyways I'm not going to go off a tangent about history but let, let's just quickly go to a criteria is realistic I mean that's happened it, I mean it, it has not I'm not going to say it worked but um, it was a thing so I can say in that sense yes um, is it realistic right now? No, because I think we are living in an ever-secular society. I think it's hard to say that we should, you know, totally, we could totally, like, you know, snap and, like, we're all going to follow the rules of religious texts. And then how are you going to, like, another problem rises that, like, which religion is right? Which, you know, religions rules and ethics are actually true like how are you going to determine that like even today we have a lot of people have debates on is is it like christianity versus, versus um versus uh, islam or uh, it could be a bunch of like comparing uh, different religions and seeing which one's better and which one's more true so if we can't even figure that out like how are we going to say like this one's the one we should outlive by right so it's not realistic in today's time there are certain countries though like for example saudi arabia Um, or maybe Afghanistan who their set of laws very much follow their religious texts, which is very interesting, but I'm talking about Western world. So no, it is not realistic right now. What I want to live in that sort of world. So it's very important to remember that, you know, even religious texts, even, you know, some people might claim that it's good and it's like um, because God is loving and divine and all knowing And all powerful, like it has to be a good theory. But there's certain flaws that you see everywhere. Like for example, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you see um, examples of the Bible not condemning slavery, and uh, those little things are little flaws. But they're very substantial flaws uh, in the sense where if you're gonna have an ethical theory, it has to be perfect. And especially if it's from God, it should be perfect. Um, So no, I don't think I would want to live in that society just because of its shortcomings. So I would give that, um, what tier should I give this one? Divine con- uh, contract theory should be, I think I'll give it a. I give it a C tier. I'll give it a C tier. Because, you know, there's certain things um, in religious texts, for example, Christianity, that are good, right? Um, like to love your own neighbor. Uh, I think that's a good example of, you know, the Bible promoting uh, goodwill. However, Obviously, as I said before the flaws and the inability to actually implement it in real life is what I give. A, why I give it a C tier. Well, folks, that's actually a wrap for today's episode on ethical theories. Uh, you might have, you know, noticed it. Uh, noticed that this episode was a bit shorter than usual. Um, but before you go, let me just explain. There's a there's a reason for that, and uh, I guess the reason is we wanted to give you a quick taste of some key ethical perspectives. ...without just totally overwhelming you with so much uh, information at once. Ethical theories tend to be very vast and broad, so covering all of them in one episode... ...wouldn't be the greatest idea, and I'm not sure if you would enjoy that either. So we kept it nice and short, but you know we got a lot more ground to cover and we're just getting warmed up. So stay tuned for part two, where we're definitely going to dive even deeper into the complexities of ethical theories... Uh, I guess just to sum up uh, what we went over in today's episode, just for your memory, a nice refresher, we learned Kant's categorical imperative, uh, utilitarianism, and divine command theory. And just to, I guess, explain those a bit further, uh, Kant, uh, his emphasis um, on universal moral principles, like treat others like you would treat yourself, um, and uh, utilitarianism, uh, what is utilitarianism? The focus, right? The focus on maximizing overall happiness, greatest happiness for the greatest number of people, right? And divine command theory uh, with its reliance on divine will um, and from religious texts. And, you know, it's really interesting and important to learn all, all these theories because they offer unique insights into how we might grapple with some of questions uh, questions that we deal with every day, such as what is right and what is wrong, Right. And learning these theories might help you um, navigate through that question. And you know, here at uh, Antidote to Echo Chambers, as I mentioned before in the beginning, um, we have rebranded. Um, we believe in keeping things fresh, um, keeping you on your toes, and always, you know, wanting, always leaving you wanting more. So, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe or follow, and stay tuned for future installments. Uh, we're on all major social media platforms. And you can find us on Instagram. And let's keep the conversation going, right? Share your thoughts, your questions, your reflections with us on social media. Our tag is ATEC Podcast. A T E C standing for uh, Antidote to Echo Chambers. So leave us a message there. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we'd love to hear your questions, your feedback. Uh, that'd be very uh, we would be very grateful for that. And uh, just engaging with our amazing community, right? So um, anyways, thanks for joining us on this uh, mini and short adventure into the vast world of ethical theories. And until next time, you know, stay curious, stay engaged, you know, keep clicking on these type of content, to, like keep learning, right? I think learning is a lifelong um, journey. And uh, I really commend you for wanting to learn more today. Um, so anyways, this was Daniel Park at Antidote to Echo Chambers, and I'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye.